KRCL, Salt Lake City. In honor of Volunteer Appreciation Month, everyone here at the station wants to say thank you to the countless number of volunteers that make KRCL, KRCL. From 1979 to 2022 and beyond, we would not be here without our dedicated volunteers. Whether you're a DJ, you're out hauling the tent all summer, or you're on the board or answering phones during Radiothon, it all goes to making KRCL what we all know and love today. Hey everybody, welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. I'm Rashawn Leak, and on the show tonight, Black, Bold, and Brilliant, and the Black Food Justice Movement. It's the theme in the film Follow the Drinking Gourd, which the Utah Film Center and the Black, Bold, and Brilliant series will screen two weeks from tonight. We're going to get a preview with Ricky Longino of Utah's own Mobile Boon Co-op, a femme and queer collective that strives to aid communities and ecosystems through education, empowerment, and botanical stewardship, and poet and doula, Ashley Finley. But first, Radioactive's own Laura Jones joins me for Rallies and Resources. What is up, lady? How you doing? Finding the right mic. Here we go. This is number three. I think it's me. And That's you, all you right. Know You're pushing Captain buttons now. So, uh, rallies and resources on the show. We try and highlight some different things. And Sadie, if you're listening out there, I'm trying to get the phone to work. We want to hear about the walkout plan tomorrow at West High. Oh, yes. Coming up, Representative Angela Romero. I think you just mentioned that, but I was busy trying to get the phone working. So forgive me if I'm repeating myself. Going to find out if I start by believing today. Start by Believing Day tomorrow. But joining us fresh from Salt Lake County, the council meeting, Scott Williams from Save Parley's Canyon. How you doing? Good. Glad to be back. Thanks for being back. And what happened today? We've had you on a couple times now. And this is about the mine that's been proposed in Parley's Canyon. Things have changed. They were doing a large mine, pulled it back to a small mine, which doesn't need public comment. And now you've shifted the focus over to Salt Lake County and zoning, correct? Right. So no matter what happens at the Division of Oil, Gas, and Mining at the state, the next step is that the uh, developer has to go to the county and get a conditional use permit. And in the past, they allowed mining as a conditional use in the Wasatch Mountains. Okay. You know, that mining in that area goes back hundreds of years, right? Uh-huh. Um, and they never updated the ordinance. So um, when this project got proposed, the council kind of, uh, like, woke up and said, we, this no longer serves the needs of the people, and, and that resource is too precious. So they proposed a revision to the ordinance that would eliminate mining as a conditional use in the zones that are covered by, that cover the mountains mm. and Parley's Canyon. So it went through the mountainous division, the, the mountainous district planning commission. <laughs> and the they, most mountainous. I, I don't yes. even know if mountainous is a word. But <laughs> it, it feels right, though. It feels right. So we're going to go with it this. It feels kind of biblical to me, actually. <laughs> um, but um, it, th- they approved it unanimously. Then the General Salt Lake Planning Commission approved it unanimously. And they recommended both those that the county adopted. So the county had a work session today, this afternoon. They talked about it. They all were on board. There were a few questions about whether people who've had old mining permits there could still use them, and the answer is yes, although not very many people are doing that actively. 
And then there was a question about whether the county was sued, and the answer is probably, will be sued, probably. Mm -hmm. But the, the budget person and the lawyer said, we don't think that it's, you know, that what they could even ask us for, even if we lost, is significant to the budget. So um, the council had a hearing. There were lots of people who testified. They got mm. over a thousand comments, and mm. they passed the ordinance revision unanimously. So what does that mean? Does it stop it? Yeah, that's exactly what I was going <laughs> to ask. I'm like, that. Where are we with the mine? So now we're kind of in like uh, you know alternate or parallel universes here. So. One thing that could happen is the, the developer could say, I don't need a conditional use permit because there was a mine on this property 100 years ago, and I'm just going to go up and start mining. Mm. And the county would probably go up and do a stop work order if he tried to do that. And then he might sue them for um, saying, I know I have a right, and they're saying, no, you don't. That's one thing that could happen. Another thing that could happen is that um, he could do go and try to get a conditional use permit. They say, we don't allow that anymore. And he could sue that them and say, you passed this ordinance just to punish me, and you've decreased the value of my property, and you owe me money. Mm -hmm. That could go to court. And then the other thing that we don't know until later is whether the legislature will step in and try to manipulate this somehow. Right, so a 1,000 comments. What are, the, what are we hearing from the people? So there were only comments opposed to this mine. The, the operators, curiously enough, have never showed up at any of the hearings making their case for why they think this Parley's Canyon mine should happen. So we don't know, but we know they're there. We know they're listening. They just haven't spoken up. Wow. Mm. Wow. All right, so one of the things that you said right before we got on air was how much support for the Save Parley's Canyon position there's been, and compare and contrast that to the Inland Port. And you were talking about how this is on the east side versus the Inland Port on the west side. Yeah, so this is a really good case study of environmental justice to me because it's um, right in the neighborhoods where people have the time, the voice, the resources to speak up, to get involved. There's people with expertise. They can, they can just rock this, right? Um, the Inland Port is in a neighborhood where people don't always have the time to show up to the hearings because of their work schedules. They may not have the, feel like they have the political power. And then the other difference is that this was, the county had jurisdiction over whether this was going to happen. And the Inland Port, there is no local jurisdiction over, over whether this is going to happen. It's all being driven by the legislature, and the Inland Port Board really isn't accountable to the public. Okay, so if folks want to get involved and follow this, because I, I know it's not done, the, the mining firm is going to come back with something. How can they get involved with Save Parleys? So just um, stay on the saveparleys.org um, website. If you sign up, you'll be on the mailing list. We'll send out updates. We'll let you know what's happening. Right now, we can have a little bit of a celebration, take a breath. We've been working on this night and day for three, four months now. Um, but this today was a victory. Today was a victory. And Representative Ramirez, I saw you raise your hand. You have some, uh, you have some thoughts on this? I, I do. Like, I, I'm glad that these communities um, have had a win. But we have to remember when it came to the Inland Port, race plays a huge role. It's not just about income. It's about how we view people and how we value people in the state. And so I want to make that very clear because there, there are very many vocal people, such as myself and others, that were opposed to the Inland Port showed up and did our did our thing and, and, and expressed why we were opposed to in the port 
but the state took over, which the state could take over this. You can't ever say that there's ever a win because of the lopsided majority we have here in the state of Utah. So just because a, a county or a city thinks they have their, their win, we know we've been called into special session before. Mm -hmm. We know that things can happen during the general session. So this is why it's so important for people to get involved, to research who their elected officials are, and to vote, if they have. Because there are a lot of people in our community who wish they could vote, but they don't have the status to vote. I love that. So Scott, that's a she touches on a great point. How do how do we get involved for the community with this particular program? Well, I think you know Angela's just covered it. I mean, the, you start with your community council, you get involved at that level, then you meet your elected representatives, you find out more about the issues, you then you go your city council, your county council, your um, legislative folks, and um, those are the people that you vote for. And if you only look at what the party is and you don't know what the what they represent then you're not really uh, exercising your vo voice no and i hear that and I, I i would say i would argue if you're if you're only going with your party and not the issues you are not an informed voter right and angela is absolutely right about i mean that we see this play out over and over and over again that's why there's a uranium mill right next to the u mountain u tribe down in blanding and that's why there's um you know, a landfill, you know, out on the west side by Magna is because these are, are race and class issues where they, they don't care about putting these things. And it's not just in Utah. It's happened across the United States. All right, Scott Williams, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate coming in. Uh, Absolutely. You've always been uh, quick to respond on this issue, so we'll keep an eye on it and come back. Great. Thanks for covering it. Okay. Okay. Now, before we uh, go over to Representative Romero, I'm going to see if the phone's working, Rashawn. Right. Hey, Sadie, do we have you on the line? Absolutely. Hi. Hi, Sadie from West High. Is that where you are? Mm -hmm. I'm a junior at West High. And you're planning a walkout tomorrow. Tell us why. Yeah, um, so we are planning a walkout uh, to show our dissupport, <laughs> our feelings against uh, House Bill 11, which prevents um, trans youth, transgender youth, uh, from participating in sports with the team that uh, aligns with their gender identity. All right, so, so uh, tell us who all is going to do it and when, and uh, I'm guessing... I don't know if this is the heads up to the <laughs> principal, but what's the plan? Awesome. So our plan is we're going to meet on the north side of the building, so where the big fancy doors are, uh, at 10.08 tomorrow, because that's when uh, first period ends at West. And we're going to have speeches and poems um, and talk about how this like directly affects youth at West. And also, it's really a way for, like, the whole community to say like we support trans students and like to sort of like gather and try and process this information just that the legislature would do something that is so like openly harmful um to trans students i i love that i love how everyone's coming together and showing solidarity so what are what are the students saying about this and what what are they sharing um that's a really good question so I haven't met many students that are in favor of the bill um, <laughs> just because it's, you know, it's just, it's, uh, it's really harmful. Um, and so I personally am not that athletic, so I haven't really heard like an athlete's perspective, but um, I just had a conversation actually with my friends today where we were talking about like, well, how is this different? And like, 
on a hyper competitive level, it might be a different conversation, but that at the high school level, all students should be able to compete with the team that aligns with their gender identity. Representative Angela Romero is nodding her head in here. You want to get in on this? Yeah, I would agree. And I just don't really see the purpose for this bill. We have um, currently four trans students that are participating in high school sports, and only one of those individuals has transitioned into a, a young woman. And so I just really feel like this is um, a political message. This is not about sports. This is not about this. We're seeing this across the country. And it's unfortunate because we're only hurting our young people. We're hurting our transgender community, too. I have a friend who's a counselor. And after the last day of the session and that bill passed, she was on the phone with one of her clients because that client wanted to commit suicide because mm -hmm. of the message that this bill sends to people saying you don't belong. And so this this is this was bad public policy. We're going to see it go before the courts. And I just want I'm just mm -hmm. appreciative of the young people at West High that are organizing. And I hope other youth across the state of Utah and people in general um, organize against this. There's nothing we can really do right now. We have to see what the courts decide, but we can do something in the power of, of your vote. So if you can vote, it is your time to step up and speak out for everybody who can't vote because of maybe they're under the age of 18 or because they um, are um, they, they just can't vote. So this, this is a really important message to people out there about why your vote matters and why it's so important to be involved because bad policy like this passes. And again, like you said earlier, it matters who you vote for. It matters who is elected. So Sadie, you're a rising voter, shall we say. Mm -hmm. Not sure when you're <laughs> yeah. going to be eligible, but is that a conversation maybe that you guys are having among your, your, your social group? Like this is why we need to make sure we get registered to vote when the time comes. I mean, I think um, for sure, I think it's hard to be just because, okay, so I'm 16 and like that's a similar age group to a lot of my friends and so it's like it's just hard knowing that like I have to wait for like two years to really get to a place where I can make a difference so we talk more about things that we can be doing like right now to at least try to change things just because it's really hard to be like oh man I am so excited for when I can vote in two years but, but everything but I, is like I, I can interject collapsing here. you know <laughs> I, I would love to interject here if you really wanted to create change and what you're doing right now is great but there are people that are running for office that need help Nothing stops any of you from knocking on doors for those people. There are many people who have been elected at a national level and at a local level because of young people. Just because you can't vote doesn't mean you can't influence that vote by getting on those doors, identifying the people who support your values, getting on those doors and saying, this is why we need to elect this person. Yeah, and I, I want to jump in. That is so true. I want to jump in and just remind you that you are making a difference. Every time someone drives down past West and sees what the, all these young people out protesting, out out voicing their concerns, that is making a difference because it starts a conversation. And while you might not be able to personally go to the voting booth, people who can are seeing you and taking taking a message and, and saying, hey, if the young people are paying attention, maybe I need to start paying attention. So mm -hmm. thank you for what you and your peer group are doing. Yes, Sadie, yeah, thank absolutely. you. Tomorrow, <laughs> ten oh eight. when, uh, what is it? What period gets out? First period. First, First period. period. And mm -hmm. on the uh, on the third west side of West High, expect a walkout. Uh, we'll have you come and tell us how it went. Sound good? You can I come down tomorrow you. if you want to come down tomorrow and uh, join us at 6. Awesome. All right. We'll have you yeah. report out, Sadie. Thank you so much. Okay. And best of luck. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Bye. All 
All right, Representative Romero, thanks for coming down to the new studios. You like yeah. them? Yeah, I, I do. <laughs> right in the Guadalupe neighborhood? It's, it's beautiful. Isn't it? Yes. Oh, man, we're so happy to have you here. Rashawn, learning to drive the I board know. here. It's, it's, it's great. We're all, we're all learning together. We're all learning together. So, so I, I want to talk to you about Believing Day. So yeah. I, I, like it, I'm I'm not I wasn't familiar until Laura sent me what we what we were going to be talking about today. And so I started I started uh, looking over it. And so I want to I want to just I'll, I'll read a little blurb and just let everybody know just so we're all on the same page. So start by believing day, a national event to support survivors of sexual assault that is celebrated the first Wednesday of every April. Tomorrow at 10 a.m., our next guests and other advocates for ending sexual violence will gather at the Utah Capitol to kick off Sexual Assault Awareness Month and pre present awards of appreciation to individuals who have made contributions in their community to provide care to people who have experienced sexual violence. And I'm thinking we might need to change that time because I'm hearing that. Is that oh, right? yeah, people right. Walking out around yeah, the same well, time, and so. I was confused because on the UCASA website it said nine. So do you know what time that starts tomorrow? <laughs> you know, uh, it was supposed to start at 10, but I wouldn't mind if it started, started at nine. nine. So, so you could I, go over to West High yeah, so and, 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 and support all the, the young people out there who are, are being visible mm. and making sure that everyone's visible and that all people have a voice. So, um, yeah, Start by Believing is, um, was I was introduced to this by Dr. Julie Valentine. She is a professor at BYU. She has done extensive research and extensive work with me on sexual assault. And with her and Holly Mullen at the time, who was the executive director of Rate Recovery Center, they approached me and Justin Boardman approached me about running this resolution to say Start by Believing. And so I wanted to be creative. I just didn't want to run a resolution to say, hey, let's start by believing. I wanted it to be meaningful. And so when I, I ran this resolution, I, I thought we got a little clever and we said, why don't we just do a start by believing day and make it the first Wednesday in Sexual Assault Awareness Prevention Month. And so um, I had a little bit of pushback with this bill because this I, th I ran this resolution the same time I ran um, the bill about whether you could um, – be considered a rapist if you sexually assaulted someone when they were um, not conscious. So yeah, I remember that one. So this this comes in line with that, and I had a couple people who spoke out and didn't vote for this bill. But what this is is it's a message to sexual assault survivors that we believe you, and that if you've ever been put in a compromising situation, we are telling people to believe someone. Don't question what they're wearing. Don't ask them how much they had to drink. Make sure you get them to the resources they need because. When somebody's been assaulted, it's, it's, it's traumatic and it's a violation. And the, our first goal and our first thing is to provide them with the service they need, whether that's going to get a rape kit, whether it's seeking counseling, whether that's going to law enforcement, whether it happened a week ago, whether it happened that day, or whether it happened a year ago. Our goal is to let that person know that we believe you and we're going to help you move forward in your life and um, get you the services that you need. Later on in the month is where Denim Day, I think it's April 29th, and that's based on an Italian Supreme Court uh, overturning of a conviction mm -hmm. of a rapist. Uh, the judge in this judge's wisdom, I'd love to know what their philosophy of judicial conduct is. Okay, I digress. But um, the victim had been wearing tight jeans and therefore must have consented to the rapist taking them off, which... Uh, granted, we have come Appalling. a long way since then, but still is a reminder from Start by Believing Day to Wear Denim Day at the end of the month what um, survivors deal with in terms of healing, in terms of seeking justice. So tomorrow, are there going to be any calls, any 
any shout outs for something to happen that we still need to have happen here? Of course, we're always going to um, do that shout out. Um, um, Dr. Um, Valentine, of course, has done extensive research. There is a, a bill I, I wanted to run based off of her research, but there's also a bill I've been running for, I've, I've submitted for the past three years. It's affirmative consent, and it's defining what affirmative consent is. And, you know, I've got pushback from the ACLU and other groups, but I, I think, and defense attorneys, but I think they misunderstand what this bill does because. Uh, a study shows that um, a lot of people, when they are being sexually assaulted, they can't say yes, they can't say no. They freeze. And they, they freeze. freeze yep, and exactly. it's, there's study after study that proves that. And when you look at how many rape, ca rape sexual assault um, cases are prosecuted here in Utah, it's a joke. Mm -hmm. And um, we have a long way to go because to get someone to report and to actually go forward with it with law enforcement and then to the prosecutor, that that's rare because to even get someone to report because they don't feel like they'll be believed is tough already. So we have a long way to go as a state. Um, this last session, I was able to secure $3.3 million in TANA funding. Representative Daily Provo helped me with that. That will be allocated for the next three years. And our goal is to educate, 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 and, and the preventative education. But what do we need to do with our situation now? Because again, sexual assault, just like Interpersonal violence is about power and control, and we um, have to recognize that, that this is not about, oh, um, this person didn't mean to do it. No, they violated someone, and there are different ways to hold people accountable, mm -hmm. but we, know, we need to hold them accountable. We, as a society, need to hold ourselves accountable on what consent is and why we even have sexual assault preventive, preventative um, month, and because this is a big issue here in our country, and it's an issue across the world and how we value individuals, especially when we're talking about um, gender dynamics and we're talking mm -hmm. about who we value and who we don't value and, and how people identify. Well, and it's a huge issue in our country. Utah is a leading state, is it not? Yeah, and it, especially if we want to talk about child sex abuse. You know, Representative Spackman Moss has tried to run a bill for the past two sessions and it's failed to talk about consent in schools. And, and my first major bill in 2014 was a child sex abuse preventative education bill, but that was only for elementary students and it's whether a school wants to participate. Mm -hmm. And that bill took a, you know, nobody thought I was gonna pass that bill and I was able to pass it with the help of um, Deandra Brown and Elizabeth Smart and Ed Smart. But we still have a long way to go when it comes to education and, and talking about consent and talking about healthy relationships. And what do healthy relationships look like? It's not just about a, a mom and a dad and a dog and a kid and a dog named Skip. It's uh, what we look at when we talk about healthy relationships is there's different family structures. There's different ways in which we can um, treat each other um, and respect each other and still be healthy. So again, it's, it's dismantling all these stereotypes of, of who a perpetrator is. When we look at perpetrators, you know, it's, it's not someone hiding in the bushes. It's someone that majority of the time you know and they've learned you, you yeah. and yeah. you trust and so we need to not I mean we do not focus on strangers of course that does happen but we need to look about who's around us and who's grooming who to take that opportunity to um, to um, hurt someone and and usually in these cases of sexual assault it's not the first time this person has assaulted someone and so again we need to hold these individuals accountable hopefully get them the help they need so that they can move forward in their life but at the same time we need to make sure that we're protecting people and if somebody's been a, a victim or, or they're a survivor 
of such trauma, we need to make sure as the state we're providing those resources and the service they need to move forward in their life as well. I, I love that. I, I love that because when I really think about this, I think about the victims because we do a terrible job in our country at protecting victims. And I, you know, and, and really what comes to mind on the light of watching all the everything going on in the Senate with KBJ, and it reminds me of the questioning that happened with Brett, Brett Kavanaugh and then how we can have powerful women coming up and saying this person was inappropriate at some time and still not being believed. So if somebody who is a, in a position of power as a female, and whether it be a lawyer or a judge currently today, coming back 20 years ago and talking about how they were assaulted, and if they aren't believed, I, I can't imagine someone who is young, someone who is a preteen, someone who's a teen high schooler saying like, oh, this happened, and getting the proper respect and the attention that it needs. Yeah, and, and and as long as I'm in the legislature, I'll continue to advocate for these issues. And really, um, it, it goes back to all of us. It's, it's easy to point fingers and it's easy to say this, but it's also um, speaking with our dollars too mm -hmm. and making sure we're providing the services and the resources we need. But the preventative education is key. Mm. It's key. We, we see this issue in our community, and now we're seeing it globally during a time of war. I'm sure you've seen the headlines and rape as a tool of war, of power and control, rendered very starkly. And I get these are two different kind of um, venues in which we're seeing it, but it really brings home what you're saying early about power and control, power and control. And so when we talk about what needs to change when it comes to sexual violence as a community, as a society, as civilized human beings, what do you think we need to sit down and talk about? Because like you said, you've run these bills several times and you get pushed back and it then it, it, it like uh, derails into, you know, parental control and sex ed and LGBTQ plus rights and oppression. So what's going to, what's it going to be to get it through, Angela? You know, we, we, really have to change the way we think about institutions and structures because these institutions and structures help keep this going and, and we really have to be honest with ourselves and we have to take a good look in the mirror and how we participate in this as well because it's so easy for people to speak out on sexual assault and, inter and, and domestic violence interpersonal relationships but yet we don't look at ourselves and reflect at ourselves on how we continue to um, assist in this in a sense by whether we um, we all stereotype, we all judge, we, we all have biases. And so how do you deconstruct those so that when someone comes to you, you believe them? I, I was just watching, I was in DC, I got to meet with the Vice President of the United States, which was really cool. Okay. And um, I couldn't sleep at night because I was really nervous about meeting with her but I was watching um, the documentary, um, I'm blanking her name, but she dated Mar Marilyn Manson for a long oh, time. Yeah. Yeah. It's called Rising Ra Phoenix. Rachel Wood, I Yeah, believe. Rachel Kevin Wood. Rachel Wood, yeah. And just hearing her story and, and hearing how people have threatened her life because she's spoken the truth. Mm. And so what kind of power do we give particular people because they're a celebrity or because they have wealth or because of who they, they're a sports figure? You know, where are our priorities as a country and how do we participate in this? And I, and I think that's it right there. It's, it's how we talk about it, how we talk about it in safe places when people are listening, maybe not a part of it, you know, maybe this hasn't happened, but how we talk about it is really where it's going to make it whether somebody is going to bring something up to you or shun away from it because 
of, of the way we talk about it now. And if we could get to it, I think, if we had those conversations about, at a policy level about healthy relationships. And I, I, just, I just feel like lawmakers, present company accepted, <laughs> they, they squirm out of it. They're uncomfortable talking about it. It's an uncomfortable topic. I, I, I know it's uncomfortable. And, I, and, you know, I've had some honest conversations with some of my colleagues and, you know, they understand where I'm coming from, but they're still, they're still like, well, I'm not sure, you know. That, so for, for me, I don't give up on people. Mm-hmm. I feel like the more conversations you have, the, um, you can change people's minds. Maybe it's not going to be as fast as I want it, but I never give up hope on anyone. I, I've, I've worked with people who... Um, because of something that's happened to someone and their family member, one of their family members or someone close to them, they've changed their mind on how they view sexual assault or domestic violence. And so, uh, you know, when it touches their family, it's like, oh, it's an eye opener. So I think a, a lot of times we don't even recognize what's unhealthy because we don't talk about what a healthy relationship mm-hmm. is. And so what seems healthy to you might not be healthy to me because we don't have those conversations. So sometimes if you grow up in an environment and you think that's that's the world you know, you don't realize it's unhealthy. You don't realize like you were in a situation sometimes until, you know, you you break out of that, those cycles. Yeah. And so it's hard for people to break out of those cycles because you can you know, come from a family where abuse happened and you can be successful financially, <coughs> but you're still, um, you've learned certain behavior. So it, it's complicated. And I don't think we're gonna solve this overnight. Yeah. It's gonna be, there's, it's gonna take a long time for us to change structures. But again, what it boils down to is power and control as we're seeing in Ukraine. It's, it's horrific, it's horrifying. I can't, I've been, had a hard time watching the news lately because I, it's just, um, it's too horrific to watch to see what's happening to people. But again, it, what's happening over there is happening here mm-hmm. in the United States, and it, it really goes back to power and control and holding people accountable, mm-hmm. but also doing the preventative me- measures so that maybe we don't have to do the discipline part because we invest so much money in rehabilitating people. But if we would invest all that money, when we look at the social determinants of health in people, mm-hmm. and we looked at people having access to health insurance, a, a quality education, being able to work one job so they can spend time with their family, be able to put a roof over their head. I think things change because you can see this power dynamic, even in working class communities. And when I was in college, I was reading a book and we still other people. So people can say that race doesn't play a role in our country, but it does. It's in the social fabric of our country and this ties to sexual assault because it's about power and control. And so even in a working class community, you can have people making the same job but you have to other someone to feel empowered and so it's these systems we've set in place and until we kind of reevaluate that and look at the equity piece of it and um, equality and equity are two different things and so until we really reevaluate that and look at the history and, and look at the trauma that comes with certain histories that doesn't mean I'm blaming someone for what was done in the past but how have you know how have I benefited from it and <coughs> and how does this all tie back to um, healthy relationships and yeah. how does this tie to sexual assault and domestic violence? They're all they're all intertwined. And so, again, if we could go, if we can start from the beginning and do the preventative measures there, then mm-hmm. I don't think we'd see the same outcomes that we see um, as adults and and the rehabilitation that we invest millions and millions of dollars to. But some people are set up to fail. So 
again, this is all, um, it's much larger than sexual assault. It's, it's, a, it's a larger issue here in our country and across the world. We always seem to want to pay for things on the back end when yeah. symptoms bubble up, Rashawn, right? So what we spend things on up front are willing to spend things on up front, like, you know, comprehensive sex education, there healthy relationships, education right? Because how do you do prevention? You, you model the behavior you want to see. Um, you know, you, you said, uh, was it $3 million plus million? Is that for survivors? How is that going to be spent? So that money will go through the Department of Health, and it will be um, an RFP will go out. and that, w- that Request for proposals. Yeah, so all these organizations will apply for that funding, and then it can be from it could be a, a local organization like Restoring Ancestral Winds to okay. spy hop to the University of Utah. They, they fill out the, that grant application. There's a process, and then those are selected to implement the education piece. All right, we'll put some details in tonight's show notes, including a link to all the events being organized for Sexual Assault Awareness and Prevention Month. And start by Believing Day tomorrow, the first Wednesday of April, which is Again, Sexual Assault Awareness and Prevention Month. And we're not sure when it's going to start, so maybe before you leave, you could uh, <laughs> call and find out. Yeah, I'm going to have to give UCASA a call and, okay. and our, um, our staff a call because and see if we can work with some of the schedules because I do not want to. Um, they're both important issues. Absolutely. They're both in, important topics, and I want to make sure both get the media coverage they deserve. And if you just joined us, we had Sadie on from West High. Students are planning a walkout tomorrow in opposition to the legislature's veto override of the governor's veto of, it's complicated, but basically, it basically means that there is a ban on transgender girls competing in middle school and high school sports, and they're gonna walk out in opposition to that. Um, but check tonight's show notes. And, and uh, Representative Romero, how can people get in touch if they'd like to get involved, like you were saying to Sadie earlier, um, with you or anybody well, else? Well, it depends on what their interest is. Yeah. So if they're interested in civil rights, maybe it's ACLU. If they're in, interested in environmental justice, maybe it's Hill, Utah. If they're interested in political organizing, maybe it's the Green Party, maybe it's the Democratic Party, maybe it's the Republican Party. So it's really, or maybe it's their c- local community council. Um, there are many ways w- in which people can get involved, and so I just tell people to be active and, and to organize and to find their niche because all of us, um, you don't have to be everything to everyone. Yeah. You have to be everything to yourself and be true to yourself and what's going to make you happy and you a better person. So I I really don't tell people what to do. I just tell them to organize, and if they can vote, because we, we're so privileged in this country for mm. those of us that can vote that you do vote because there are many people that live around us in our neighborhoods that don't have the opportunity to vote and if they could they would or there there are a lot of reasons why people didn't vote in the past so let's use that power of the vote because i'm really scared right now in our times i I saw what happened to my colleague steve handy who um moderate republican moderate republican was taken out in convention he didn't get he didn't do the signature gathering so he's no longer there i've seen the rise of this group called we the people I mean, I experienced some of them in one of my committee hearings. Um, I swear this woman was throwing a white power sign at me, but she says she was saying the number three. So again, there is um, the number three sideways, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. There's, okay. there's a lot of lot of interesting things going on, and so these people feel empowered. They feel like they're the voice. So I want to say, no, you're not the voice. I want the people to rise up and say, here, this is who we want to be our elected officials. 
Representative Romero, Democrat, District 26 in Salt Lake County. Which neighborhoods are we talking? Uh, we're talking, um, right now, we're talking Glendale, Poplar Grove, Ball Park, Central City, Central 9th. Um, but my district number will change to House District 25, and I will be strictly the west side, Glendale, Poplar Grove, and West Valley. So I probably will have a, it'll be interesting to see, probably a minority-majority district, which is mm-hmm. will be interesting. Yeah, well, mm. I love it. Thank you so much for coming in, coming to our new studios. We'll put links to the show notes so you can catch up with Representative Romero. Coming up next, we are going to be talking about Follow the Drinking Gourd, and I found a Richie Havens version yeah, of this. Did song and let's play that now shall we all right on krcl richie havens on krcl radioactive yes i need to get in touch with you and see if they krcl's annual record and cd sale will be making its triumphant return in 2022 we're planning something special so stay tuned but in the meantime, we'll be taking donations of your gently used, tremendously loved, but slightly neglected records and CDs. If you can let go, we can make sure those treasures get their way to the next music lover in line. Donations are tax deductible and will help power your community radio station, 90.9 FM, KRCL. If you'd like to donate, reach out to me, Eric P. Nelson, at recordsale at krcl.org for details. See you soon. Utah Community Action is one of the largest nonprofits fighting poverty and its causes in the state. To support or access their programs for adult education, case management and housing, Head Start, heat utility assistance, nutrition, and weatherization for homes, visit utahca.org. KRCL has been a community megaphone and rallying local support for 40 years by reaching thousands of listeners every single day. If you own your own business, we are encouraging you to issue an on-air challenge grant during our Radiothon. Using KRCL's megaphone to issue an on-air challenge grant will not only connect you to the community, but it will also encourage others to show their support as well. Together, local businesses and KRCL can support each other, stay connected, and thrive. For more information, email B at krcl.org. Welcome back to Radioactive and Roundtable Tuesdays. I'm Rashawn Leak. Coming up at 7, Democracy Now! Vagabond Radio with Barbie at 8. Connor's Late Night Lowdown starts at 10.30. Super Sounds with Chovy at 1 a.m. All of our programming in the Radioactive Archives may be found online at krcl.org. Now let's get our Roundtable Tuesday discussion going. Two weeks from tonight, the Utah Film Center Black, Bold, and Brilliant series will screen a documentary about the Black food justice movement called follow the drinking gourd let's play the trailer of this 2019 film we have a really negative relationship with the land and particularly with growing our food because we were traumatized there after the Emancipation Proclamation, recently freed black farmers were trying to figure out like what to do, you know, and they ended up getting together in the churches. They all agreed on the number one thing, the most important thing for them would be land. When you start to look at the process of what needs to happen in our communities, it's a composting process. We've been redlined, we've been told that we're not valuable and we're sitting here in this environment, but through the application of certain types of knowledge, you know, fire, the passion, intellect, the emotions, and then of course the foundation, which is the earth, 
then we in our communities can become life-giving places again. They're watering the seedlings so they'll grow up in the stages. On this paper, it shows all the stages of a baby plant. Man, I'm getting up in age, you know, and my, my offsprings do not want to farm. So now it's up to me to try to find some young people that wants to farm. Take me in your palms. Breathe in my memory. Remember me. Fall soft where you belong. My seed, I need you. The future depends on you. For the old man is waiting to carry you to freedom. Follow the drinking gourd. And that's the trailer for Follow the Drinking Gourd, the documentary to be screened two weeks from tonight for Black, Bold, and Brilliant series from the Utah Film Center and KRCL. Joining me now to talk about it more is Ricky Longino of Utah's own Mobile Moon Co-op and poet and doula Ashley fin Finley. Hey, hey, what's up, y'all? Hey, hey, how's it going? It's going well. It's going well. It's nice to have y'all in here. So, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to have y'all be a part of, of the film, but, but that's, I mean, that's here, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that in two <laughs> weeks. I'm here to talk about y'all. So the, the theme of tonight's show, unintentionally, has been communities. Mm -hmm. and, and both of y'all are, are two heavy hitters in our, in our communities. And whether people are recognizing it or not, they gonna, they gonna, because y'all <laughs> are both doing big things. So one, I want to... I want to go. I want to go to you, Ricky, because one, if if y'all don't know, me and Ricky have been we've been pe peoples for a couple years now. We go back to the bike collective. Mm -hmm. So what's up, Ricky? How are you? Hi, doing well. Enjoying this kind of explosive spring. Everything's going to flower, and I've been really busy in the garden and moving around. All right, all right. And Ashley. Poet and doula, and just so y'all know, we put Ashley on the spot because April is Poetry Month, so maybe maybe she oh. might bless us with some of her words. But poet and doula, doula, I mean, yeah. I, I know you're from L.A., you came out here. Did you come out here solely to practice? Uh, I, and if you allow me, I don't know if it's called doula's ship, yeah. but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw that out there as a word. Yeah, you could use that word. You okay. could say birth work. Okay, all right. <laughs> so, I mean, doula is very community-centric. Like, yeah. that is something. So... So how, how did that come to be, from L.A. to Utah to doulaship? Yeah, it's interesting. I actually came here to work in the nonprofit sector after undergrad and um, for many years tried that and found it didn't work for me and um, decided to follow the calling to become a, a doula, a birth worker, and that's where I'm at now. <laughs> All right. I, I, I love it. So the calling, is this something that has been – Practice in the family? Yeah, so my grandmother was a granny midwife of the American South. So she was um, a midwife that was not trained, like in hospitals or school, but she just kind of knew how to get babies earthside. And so um, that that's uh, the legacy, I guess, I kind of come from. All right. Yeah. I, I, love, <laughs> I love how you put that, earth, earthside. So, so I have a, that's, it's funny you mentioned legacy because that is one of my questions for both of y'all. But, but for people who don't know, what is a doula? Um, so a doula is a non-medical support person. Um, some people might 
say like labor coach, birth coach, um, but really what my job is is to be a person's companion um, through pregnancy, through birth, and through postpartum. And, and it looks a lot of different ways for a lot of different people, but advocacy, like uh, medical advocacy is a really big, um, I guess, uh, big on the to-do list <laughs> of the job. <laughs> um, and then other, you know, just kind of other like medicine keeping and, and things like that. All right, all right. So let me bring it over, Ricky. A, a, apothecary. <laughs> Did I even say it right? Cause That's I, right. All right, there we go. I'm, I'm, I'm excited because I've only – all right, people. So I'm going to be honest. I've only graced, like, maybe two of them in my, in my day. So what <laughs> – so if I was to go into your spot, what am I expecting? What's going what's gonna to happen? Well, take us on this little journey, if you will. So the Mobile Moon Co-op is now open every Sunday from 11 to 4. We've been closed for the season, but we just launched a couple weeks ago with a fundraiser for missing and murdered Indigenous women. Mm. Um, Our apothecary might look different than some other apothecaries. We're a cooperative, so instead of having any kind of hierarchy in our group, um, all the coordinators or the the people involved in the Mobile Moon Co-op have uh, a say and uh, we have a process to make decisions. Um, and 30% of all of our proceeds go back to the community. And we mostly focus our mission on um, land back principles and, and reparations on the land. And I, th- I believe that's why they reached out to us about uh, follow the drinking gourd. Um, as far as what the apothecary looks like and feels like, it's actually on a school bus. And the where the location where the bus is parked is where also where the herbs are grown. So um, you know, next to the bus, you have your chickens, and then uh, about an eighth of an acre farm where we grow our herbs. Um, on the bus, we'll often have plants drying right there, and and uh, that's where we process our herbs. Um, we have products that have been made completely by hand by our community members and uh, those are available for purchase. You can also get bulk herbs, you can get um, a cup of hot tea, we have a little tea shop Uh, and every Sunday we we also have a a homemade lunch so um, everything's by donation and sliding scale. We really encourage people to come and pay what they can you know if, if it's something that's accessible to you to get a luxury product like a bar of soap for $10, knowing that, um, you know, three of those dollars will go towards, um, you know, a, a community member in need um, or who has been disenfranchised by our system. You know, that's that's where your money's going and the rest of it is going towards the ethical production of that bar of soap. Um, so, you know, we're... We're definitely active right now and and doing everything we can to uh, listen to the land, listen to our community, and respond with uh, resources. Beautiful. Uh, uh, So you live in some real, like, farm to table right there. Truly. Uh Uh-huh. But with a little less bougie than (laughs) than Uh, farm to table. We we understand the bougie side of farming. No, I I, I love it. Uh So, So, Ashley... When we're talking about doula and community, mm-hmm. like, is it is it a certain group that you're looking for? Are you you know are you just you know, I'm gonna fly my I'm gonna give my card out to everybody? Or are you kind of taking care of uh, uh, underrepresented communities? Yeah, 
So I am actually one of very few black doulas in the state of Utah. Right, I'm just not right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so um, the demographic that I serve is um, black, indigenous, people of color, and queer parents of color mm -hmm. as well. So yes, basically very um, marginalized and underrepresented demographic. And um, the, the demographic that actually experiences medical violence and medical mm -hmm. racism the most. And so um, while I have been known to <laughs> um, support families that don't necessarily fall under th that demographic, I would say 98% of who I do serve are, are um, in th that community. So, so what you just said makes a lot of sense because I tied back to a word you said earlier and you said advocacy. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't always think about advocacy when we're going into the hospitals. Like that's not, right. you know, we always think the doctor knows everything, right? So, right. so why a doula? Why this community? Why you? Well, I want to start by not putting a lot of heaviness, but it's important for me to say that um, probably one of the things that um, has been a conversation that's a little bit more mainstream now is the maternal um, morbidity and mortality mm -hmm. rate. Um, so for black women, it's four times the rate um, of their white counterparts, meaning black women are dying from four times uh, or from um, birth related complications at four times the rate. And whatever that number is has actually doubled in the last two years of the um, pandemic. Um, and so it's really important that um, in medical spaces, we have people that are culturally competent, mm -hmm. um, culturally relevant, and also um, like I would say like personally plugged in, right, to, to patients. And so that's what I do. So it's really powerful for me to be in the space with a black parent or a black woman um, knowing like what she's gone through in the medical system, right? Like the fact that in medical history books, they're still being taught like in med school that black women don't experience pain, um, which leads to a whole other, <laughs> you know, like there's a big umbrella of problems with well, that. that. I mean, it, <laughs> it's so problematic because you would expect the complete opposite coming mm -hmm. from the medical field. You right. would assume that they would understand that, I mean, pain tolerance yeah. is, I would argue, individual right. more than it is, you know, racial. Yeah. It's really interesting, and not to go on a, a huge soapbox because, you know. Oh, this is I what, they, <laughs> that, that's why you got the mic. That's why we passed the mic. It's really interesting because the basis of the westernized medical system, specifically gynecology, um, is actually based off of the abuse of black women's bodies. So... Um, J. Marion Sims is like known as the father of gynecology. He rented enslaved black women from plantation owners. There were four, um, Anarcha, Lucy, Betsy, and I cannot remember the last, the last woman's name, so please forgive me, ancestors. But um, <laughs> he rented them, and his whole um, goal was to learn about how to um, cure fistulas in, in women because white women were having fistulas in, in childbirth and they were dying and nobody knew how to fix it. Can I interject real yes. quick? Just what is a fistula? Because I'm, I'm not aware, yeah. so I'm sure other people aren't. So a fistula is basically when your pelvic floor 
co- like prolapses okay. out outside of your body. Oh, okay, thank you. And it creates, you know, it's a big health problem in itself, but it, sure. you know, it often leads to death. And so, um, J. Marion Sims rented for um, enslaved women and um, operated on them without anesthesia. And so, eventually, he got his cure but at the expense of these women. And those were the four women who survived long enough. He had rented many other women um, who unfortunately died from his experiments. Wow. Yeah. And so that's the basis, right? And he wrote a book, and that book has been passed down and passed down and passed down. And so, um, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) No, no, no. That, that, yeah, that, that, I mean, that's heavy, but that, that's just facts, you know? You can't Mm -hmm. argue facts. So, so let let's get a little lighter. So this one's just open open question. Wh- when everything you know, as as you as you both create, continue to create and walk through these spaces, what do you want your legacy to be? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that for me, I want my legacy to be um, that of someone who um, who stubbornly <laughs> fought for liberation of her people and the healing of her people in lots of different ways in birth and medicine making and our connection to the land. Um, I just hope that people think of me as a healer mm. um, in the that. future. I love that. Yeah. Ricky? Mm. Um, my other hat that I wear is at the Salt Lake City Public Library and I, I am a gardener and a seed keeper there. And I think my legacy, I. I love the word seed keeper um, mm-hmm. and and I think about all the potential of seeds and how important it is to diversify our future, not just in plants, but just in our, our imaginations, our capacity, our communities, and, um, and to take care of each seed uh, possible, you know, to, to ensure that it has a, a safe place to live in the future and thrive and make seeds of its own and, and continue to diversify the the pools of opportunity and abundance that um, are innate in our world. I love that. All right, well let's let's hit hit us up with some socials, y'all, because <laughs> I, I don't know about the <laughs> listeners, but I need to find the both of y'all. So where where can we find you at? Uh, the Mobile Moon Co-op is just at Mobile Moon Co-op on Instagram and Facebook, and our website is www.mobilemooncoop.org, and find us there. Hit us up. Come to the farm. Uh, yeah. It's it's down. <laughs> Uh, near the Jordan River, between the Jordan River and Redwood Road on 25th South, and uh, we're there every Sunday. Down by the river. That's it's a magical <laughs> space. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, everything Ricky <laughs> Ashley's is there, magical. too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, Ash, where, where, do we find, um, where do we find you at? Yeah, you could find me at Sacred Sister Doula on IG and also um, sacredsisterdoula.com. Um, and then the Black Birth Workers Collective on Instagram as well. It's four of us. That sounds like a show. I, <laughs> I, I would I would tune in. I, I would tune in, and I, you know I I mean we all know I I, I uh, identify as a male, so I'm I'm not having babies. Yeah. But I still want to spread knowledge. <laughs> Thank you. 
So we have, I'm looking at the clocks, and I just realized that in helping you try and read them, they're off by a minute each. So I'm going to say there's two minutes left for a poem. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I do. Yeah, <laughs> I'm talking about. And just a reminder, <laughs> two weeks from tonight, Utah Film Center, there'll be a link in the show notes. It's no ticket necessary. You just need to sign up so you can get the Zoom info mm. to watch the film online and then the after film the, conversation yeah, the, that the Ashley after party and Frankie discussion, will be if you will. Yeah. Um, I'm so excited. And so this was um, a poem that I wrote uh, a while ago, and it was in the Red Rock Desert. And so I was feeling very connected mm-hmm. to the land and the ancestral kind of energy there. there. Um, and so um, it answers the question of, um, as a black woman, who am I when I'm in my safest place um, and my most vulnerable space? And it says, um, I'm so tired. But also, I am a well full of deep sighs and unbridled love for a world I am sure loves me back. I am barefoot and naked and a deep hum of requiem for the bones that existed before the ocean sank them. I am of the earth and of the sacred smoke too. My body is soft and lovely and full of all of the good things my grandmother saved for me. I am an entire wet mouth swallowing the nectar of freedom. My hands are wet mouths too, and they are holding freedom for my daughters. I am my spirit personified. I am the soul that was meant for me, the sunlight and the honey dripping from the moss. I am the reason for all of it, all of it, the whole thing. (laughs) I cannot think of a better way to end the show, (laughs) y'all. I hope you found something during the show to give you hope, get you off the couch, off the phone, and help out in our community. My thanks to all of our guests tonight, and thank you for plugging into the community. Until we meet again next week for another Roundtable Tuesday edition of Radioactive, stay strong and keep keeping on. I'm Rashawn Leak, and this is KRCL. KRCL, 90.9 FM, HD1 in Salt Lake City, Ogden, and Provo. 96.7 FM in Park City on the web at krcl.org. Listener supported community radio.